Good morning, everyone. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name's Gareth, one of the leaders here, and I'm really excited to be speaking to you on this full The City Sunday. Um, Bruce and I were just reflecting before the service started um, that this Sunday is so distinctive of who we are as Common Ground Church. It's so distinctive of our vision of who God is that we find in Scripture and who He's called us to be. Uh, It's easy to walk in this morning and think, well, this is about money and this is just about vision. But actually, this is about who God calls us as a people to be in our city, in our communities, in our world. And so I'm really excited not just to speak about a vision that's going to require some finances, but to speak about a vision of God and the city and who his people are and how he uses his people in the city. And we can only do this in light of the world in which we find ourselves, can't we? We can only do this in light of a world with unemployment realities and recession realities that we're facing in the news uh, in terms of both South Africa and global realities, in terms of international travel being shut down and rugby matches canceled and closed behind, played behind closed doors and all of these realities that we find ourselves in. It feels like it's something of God's timing that this morning we're speaking about how do we as followers of Jesus, those of us who are, how do we respond to this? What is our attitude towards the world in which we find ourselves? What should our actions be towards these realities? So that's what we're talking about this morning. Now, to help us this morning, I'm going to speak from a passage of Scripture that is very often used as a form of encouragement. Uh, Some people say it might be the second most well-known and quoted Scripture in the Bible. The most well-known, of course, would be John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But this is very possibly the second most well-known and loved verse in Scripture. It comes from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Half of you can quote it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And today I want to unpack those verses, but I want to unpack them primarily by considering the context in which Jeremiah wrote those verses. Because the context is everything. We don't just get to go to the Old Testament and pull one verse out and say, that's my life verse and God has spoken that to me. No, God first and foremost spoke this to a specific people in specific circumstances. And as we consider that, we can see how then does this apply to our lives. I'm going to get to the passage in a moment, but I just want to, for those of us who don't know, give us a little bit of context uh, about the situation into which this was written, because it's going to give us so much insight. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet, a messenger from God, sent to speak to his people. Uh, he wrote a number of books in the Old Testament, the books of Jeremiah, First and Second Kings, and Lamentations. And Jeremiah saw incredible hardship over his life. Much of that is captured in his writings to the point that scholars refer to Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. He saw so much hardship, so much despair, so much trauma, and it came through in his writing. So uh, quite an interesting guy to read as we're talking about vision and hope for the future, right? A guy who's known as the weeping prophet, but we're going to see all of that in a second. 
And the section of scripture that we're looking at at the moment was written as a letter by him to Jewish people that were in exile, first in Egypt and then in Babylon. What had happened was they had been living in Jerusalem uh, in the land that God had given them under the subjugation of Babylon, but eventually this foreign nation had come and destroyed their city and taken them away as captives, and many of them were camped outside the city, refusing to go into this horrible pagan city filled with evil and wickedness, wanting to distance themselves from the city. And so Jeremiah writes to them. At the same time, there were different voices that were speaking into this community of God's people. And one of the most prominent voices was another prophet, in inverted commas, by the name of Hananiah. Uh, don't confuse them. Hananiah, false prophet. Jeremiah speaking from God. But Hananiah came with this incredible message of positivity and hope and joy. And he said, guys, this is a travesty. This is a setback. But God is for us. And two years' time, we're back where we belong. This is a short-term thing. Just, just two years, and God is going to take us back because God is for us, and we're his people, and we have to live in victory, and everything should always go right. And this is just a temporary blip on the radar. Sometimes we get messages like that, don't we? And sometimes it can be God speaking, but on this occasion, at least, it certainly wasn't. And he had this beautiful prophetic imagery that he did, and it involved taking something and breaking it, and this prophetic symbolism was amazing. I mean, it was just, you know, he he wowed the crowd. And Jeremiah came and said, no, 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 no. That's not what God says. God's not saying two years. God is saying minimum 70 years. A minimum of 70 years, we're going to live in this place, in this place where we feel like we don't even want to cross the river into the city because they're so different to us, and we're God's people, and their culture is alien, and the way that they live is different, and they have different values, and and everything that they do is antithetical to how we want to live. We're God's people. They're not like us. We want to exclude ourselves from them. We want to get out of here. Jeremiah says, no, you're going to be here for 70 years. Let's pull that into our context in Cape Town for a moment. It should sound a little bit familiar if you're a follower of Jesus. We know that we're God's people and that God is with us. But actually, very often, we feel like we need to disconnect, don't we? We feel like we need to disconnect from some of what is going on in the workplace, some of what is going on in our world. It can feel oppressive, like this can't possibly be God's A plan for us. We live in fear of what, can, what comes next. A whole lot of us can relate to feeling like there's prophecies of doom all around us. On the other hand, maybe some of us are grasping at prophecies of victory and hope, and this is a short-lived thing. And, and the turnaround, I, I saw a family member just posting something on Facebook this morning, and I just went, no. You know, it's like everything is about to turn, and everything's going to suddenly get better, and God can do that. But it wasn't grounded in biblical reality at all. And we put our hope at that point in the situation that we find ourselves in rather than the God who holds the situation in his hand. God did have a plan for his people. It wasn't doom and gloom, but it also wasn't pretending that the hardships and realities that they were in didn't exist. And it also wasn't pretending that maybe they weren't going to be there a little bit longer than they would have been comfortable with. So that brings us to Jeremiah 29. God sends Jeremiah with a message of ultimate hope for their future, even when they find themselves in a city that is far worse than they expected, and when the promises of God are maybe taking a little bit longer than what they wanted. Jeremiah 29 from verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they encourage, you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. We're going to look at three big ideas that we take from this passage as God is speaking through Jeremiah to Israel that are so directly applicable to us in our world today. And the first big idea is that God is in control. God is in control. They've been ripped out of their reality. They've seen sons and daughters that have died in battle. They've been relocated, disenfranchised, lost their land, lost their homes, lost their livelihood. And yet, somehow, in a way that they can't comprehend, and sometimes we can't comprehend, God is in control. Look at what God says. To all those I carried into exile. That's a bit of a shocking statement. This is war. This is horror. This is entire people groups being relocated and dominated and subjugated in incredible evil, and yet somehow in a way that he's not responsible for it, God is still overseeing it. Somehow that is still part of the plans and purposes of God in this world. He is sovereign and he is good, even in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances. These words express to us that we're in God's hands even when we find ourselves in situations that seem incredibly dark and hopeless. Jeremiah's seeming bad news here comes as honest news. Instead of falsely pretending, instead of just like everything is great despite the reality around him, this is so key, guys, when we get the sovereignty of God, it allows us not to pretend that everything is happy-go-lucky because God is in control. It allows us to face the reality that everything is not always fantastic because God is in control. We can own up to difficult realities. We can actually look at them where other people are scared to see the reality of what is around them because the reality scares them so much because they don't have an ultimate hope, because they don't know that God is ultimately in control. Knowing that God is in control is what allows us to face the reality of what we see around us in the world. And so what we see is this passage actually begins with incredible hope. Not the hope that simply circumstances will change in two years, as Hananiah said, but the hope that God is sovereign. God is positioning them. God is in control. God has promised them a hope in the future. God is in control. Secondly, we see that God positions them and us in the city. He says to them, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 
I told you that God's people wanted to stay on the periphery. They wanted to stay outside of the city. They literally didn't want to cross geographical boundary markers as a way of distancing themselves from the city. And when we're undergoing hardship, we can be tempted to bunker down and wait it out to keep our finances safe, to look after our own interests, our family and our closest friends, and to ensure that we can just weather whatever storms are out there. But God expressly calls his people to hopeful obedience, living lives of faith and moving into the city. Guys, this is who we see Jesus to be. As we follow Jesus, as we're becoming more like him, this is the kind of people that we are. He tells his people to not even look for immediate escape from the difficult situation. Rather, God has a plan to use them in the midst of their current situation. Let's pull some of this together. There's, there's a purpose for them Right now, they need to build and to live and to eat and a call to sow into the future. Multiply, sow, increase, have children. A present purpose and a future hope. They were to plan to be there for a long time and to live like it. It's a work for the welfare of the city as well as pray for the welfare of the city. And so often in church, we can be good at one of those and not the other. We, we focus so much on what we're doing and we forget that God is in control. We forget to pray to him and to ask him his plans and purposes. Or we're so praying all the time, but we don't actually get our hands dirty. What we see here is this reality of both. And it's as we are praying and asking God what his plans and purposes are that we can direct our energies to where he is already working. They had to listen to God's promises and not the false prophets in their midst, whether the naysayers or the positive yes men, because both are unhelpful in the midst of exile. Brothers and sisters, in today's environment, God would encourage us to be people not driven by fear that are looking only to our present and perhaps future needs, but to be sowing into the future of the city that he's called us into. Not to be looking around, where can we move in the world to a safe place? In some ways, it's a service to us in South Africa who are often thinking like that, that right now it feels like there's nowhere safe to move to. But to be seeing our future as safe because it's been carried by God. Now, I'd be doing us a disservice if I didn't deal with one of the most practical realities that we're facing in the world right now, COVID-19 coronavirus. For most of us, the reality right now is toilet paper means and rugby games that are canceled, Right? Okay, that's the, uh, the limit of our exposure to it for most of us right now. Some of us are dealing with realities, like Indira's got a major conference that she's going to next week and you know, thinking through what, is, what does that mean. We're going to be speaking more about this going forward because this is becoming such a massive reality so fast for us. But I want to say a few things about it this morning connected to who God calls us to be in the city. Loving our city and loving our neighbors means seeking what is best for them. What are some of the ways that we can do this? Again, these are some of the preliminary thoughts that I've had while looking at this text. As a leadership team over coming weeks, we'll be sitting down and thinking through more practical realities for us on Sunday mornings and in life groups. But I want to talk in broad terms based on this text and who God calls us to be. Firstly, we need to listen to medical experts. I'm not a doctor or a public health specialist or a disease specialist, but I do study scripture. And because of that, I know something about our hearts. And what I know from looking at Scripture is that we, me, are generally selfish and we look out for ourselves. And what that means is we often listen to experts in and insofar as it's not too inconvenient to us. And then when it becomes inconvenient, then we find all the reasons to not listen to them, right? 
This is not the time for that kind of selfishness. 20-second hand-washing, finding new ways of greeting people. We can make a joke out of it. Self-quarantine if you have a temperature over 37 and a half and a cough until you're proven clear. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not going to try to prove it to you or argue with anyone. I'm just someone who loves the city and the people in it, and the professionals are telling me that's the best way to do it. All the stats are indicating that this is much more deadly than the common flu, especially in certain demographics like those over 65 and immunocompromised. In South Africa, we have masses, we have millions of people that live in crowded conditions without easy access to running water. We say, hey, disinfect your hands all the time. That's not a reality. Many of whom can't afford to miss even one week of work because work is so hard to come by with higher rates of TB and HIV. This is why we have to inconvenience ourselves by listening to the experts because it's not enough to think my chance of getting this is low, and if I do, I'll probably be okay. I'm not in a most at-risk group, and I have access to good medical care. This is about loving our city and our neighbors. See, here's what we tend to do. We tend to ask ourselves, do I really need to self-quarantine because I have a temperature? That's majorly inconvenient. Brothers and sisters, that's not a biblical way of thinking at all. Do I is the problem right there. I Rather, we need to think, does the tall person at my grocery store need me to self-quarantine because of my temperature? The tall person that's going to come into contact with hundreds of people in very close proximity, touch their hands as they hand over cash and cards, and then travel home in crowded public transport, do they need me to self-quarantine? The tall person that even if all I have is a common cold, is then going to have to go stand if they catch it in a line with hundreds of other people at a public health facility to be diagnosed, possibly exposing themselves to something far worse than the mild cold that maybe that was all that I had. Do you see what it means to think about loving other people? How we've got to begin to think, not just about is it inconvenient for me, but what does this mean for the good of the city? That's what Jeremiah is saying. The Bible doesn't teach us to think, do I need to? But do the most vulnerable of my brothers and sisters need me to? Now, I know this can sound hectic. Why, when there are only one or seven or 36, whatever the official number is right now, cases in the whole country? That's a really good question. To ask someone who's a public health or infectious disease specialist, and I won't direct you to the person in our church that maybe has some answers because I don't want to inundate him. I don't have the answers. I only know that we need to be humble enough to realize we are not experts and that we should listen to the experts. Secondly, we need to think through the implications of those that are under our care in whatever form. Business owners, how are you going to help people navigate this? What options are there to limit contact? What is the culture in your business around sickness and health? Are people in your business confident enough in their job security, to stay home if they're sick. I'm not talking about the laws. I'm talking about the culture. Or is their income so tied to their performance that there's a culture of fear that's going to push people to come to work when they're sick? What's going to happen to their jobs, especially those at the very bottom of the corporate ladder if they're sick for an extended period? What's happening around transport to and from work? How can we seek their welfare? I don't have answers, guys, this morning. All I know is how Scripture tells us we need to think these things through. And thirdly, don't live in fear. Now, we make jokes on social media about toilet paper. We can joke about it, but how many of you have wondered, do I need to stock up on toilet paper in case this is South Africa, right? right? We've all at least had a passing thought on that, surely. What we will see as more and more cases are proven to be in South Africa is people taking steps 
sometimes extreme ones, to protect their family and their own people driven by terrible anxiety. And anxiety-driven, look-after-my-own behavior, you can see this if you look at history, always excludes those who aren't my family and my people to their detriment, often in terrible ways. As God's people, all people are our people because every person is made in the image of God. We've got to think like that. This is not the way of, that's not the way of Christ. That's the way of looking at the world that denies his involvement and control in who he's created us to be. When we act like that, we are acting as functional atheists. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but in my anxiety, I need to take steps to gain control. And because those steps are rooted in anxiety, they're selfish and end up hurting rather than loving other people. What Jeremiah shows us here is that wherever we go on earth, whatever time period we live in, we will be surrounded by troubles. They look different from place to place, but there's nowhere to go that doesn't have some kind of oppression and external worry. But crucially, wherever the people of God go, we take his light burden and easy yoke. We take this hope for the future that he is in control. This is far less about the geographic place we find ourselves in than about God's kingdom that is breaking into this geographic place that we find ourselves in and is unstoppable. See, in 2020, living in Cape Town, we have the things that Jeremiah had. We have the sovereign goodness of God holding us in his hands. We have the promises of God sustaining us in hope for the future. But actually, we have much more than that. We have this new covenant reality that Jesus brings about. We don't live like the Old Testament people of God in a geographic exile. We live in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We live in the kingdom of God that Jesus is ushering in. And so when we contemplate about being a people of hope for the city, it's not just that the good of the city will improve my life. We don't just make Cape Town better so that our lives can be better. We choose to serve Cape Town because we've been given eternal life and all the joys and the hopes and the riches of heaven. We know that we are waiting for an eternal city and so we can do good to the present city. We're a people of hope. We have the promise of hope for the future. We're a people of hope because God gives us a hope and a future. That famous verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Our great hope is because of the hope that Jesus brought us. He is ushering in his kingdom. We raise our hands every day to say our yes to his call to be his people of hope on the earth, knowing that he has the future in his hands. We're to be the people of hope around the braai and at the water coolers and in our kids' schools and on WhatsApp groups. We're full of prayers of hope for our families and our suburbs and our province and our nation. And if you aren't there, get there by looking to God's promises. Don't try to drum up hope in your soul by thinking, well, if this just improves, if that just gets better, you become a person of hope by rooting your hope in God's promises, who he is, what he's done for you, and what he's promised for the future. We don't turn our ear to the naysayers around us or to the yes men who would tell us what we want to hear. We can instead look into the brokenness and trouble in our city with the voice of God ringing in our ears as he calls us into more. I hope you see 
how that understanding of who God is and who he calls us to be is, is what drives our vision as we look to bless the city of Cape Town with these five gifts. In a moment, we get to, we're gonna zoom out across the stories from around the city. But first, I wanna just zoom in on some of the individuals that have been impacted by this vision. I mean, there, there are literally thousands of people that have been impacted by everything that has happened over the last three years. We're just gonna watch a short video, just looking at a couple of individual stories of what has been going on in our congregations. Just one, from one ordinary Sunday last October, after that, I'll be back up and just talk about some of what God is doing around the whole city. So please just turn your attention to the screen quickly. Each time we say yes to God, He takes a simple step of obedience and multiplies its impact as only He can do. In 2009, in response to God's call to plant this church deeper into our culture and wider into our city, Common Ground launched the Inner City Congregation. Little did we know then, that act of faith would become a catalytic force that would see Common Ground become 11 congregations by 2020. Throughout the journey, we've marveled at how when individuals say yes to the big as well as the seemingly small, it results in ongoing outward ripples of His grace and goodness to more and more lives across our city. One of those lives is Malibongwe, who was staying in the shelter across the road from the inner city congregation. He was unemployed and unable to provide for his family. One Sunday, he joined a meeting and was introduced to a loving community of Christ followers. They put him in touch with Common Good, the NGO that Common Ground founded to respond to social justice needs in our city. He signed up for their work readiness course, which restores dignity and hope and equips the unemployed with the skills they need to enter the marketplace. After graduating, Malibongwe met Nomfundo, a Common Grounder working at Common Good to help connect graduates to meaningful work opportunities. She set up an interview and Malibongo was hired as a groundsman for the Rondebosch Common Ground Campus. Having a stable job made a significant difference in his circumstances and we now see his faith in action as he consistently gives his best and is always ready to serve others with a broad smile. Malibongo is just one life that has been impacted by our efforts to fill the city through multiplying congregations and multiplying compassion and justice. And now, Malibongo joins us in serving others in the city. One of the ways he serves is through his work in preparing the Rondebosch baptismal pool for baptism Sundays. It is here that his story once again intersects with Nomfundo's. Many years before, Nomfundo's grandfather had asked her when she would be baptized. She visited him when he was nine to six, and his lifetime of faithfulness freshly ignited Nomfundo's heart and reminded her that we are never too mature for simple acts of obedience. The next Sunday, inspired by her grandfather's question, she was baptized in the pool prepared by Malibong. In that same baptism pool, on the same Sunday, two young sisters, Eva and Nina, aged nine and 11, also made their public declarations of faith. Just as God had been stirring Nomfundo's heart, he had also been at work in theirs. Through the efforts of a praying mom, playing her part, they had been invited to cross the line of faith and follow Jesus through the waters of baptism. On the sidelines supporting them stood youth ministry volunteers, men and women who delight in introducing children to Jesus and nurturing the faith of young believers. 
the next generation of Christ followers, church planters, and city changers. Gareth, a deacon, was also in the baptismal pool that day, serving his local congregation by baptizing and praying with people. Today, however, Gareth and his family have stepped out on mission and are filling the city as part of our latest church plant on the M5. We were trusting that many people will come to faith, be baptized, and go on to serve God and advance His kingdom in their sphere of influence. Each of these individual stories are beautifully linked to one baptismal pool on one Sunday in just one of our congregations. If we could zoom out, just imagine what we'd see God doing in baptism pools across all our congregations. And through each small step of obedience, every act of kindness and contribution from thousands of common grounders across the city, each playing their part in filling homes, churches, communities, workplaces, and schools with the message, life, and fame of Jesus. Just some of the stories from one baptism in one of our 11 congregations. Let me just give you some feedback in terms of some of the things that's been happening around the city. Bruce already mentioned it, but uh, last year we moved into the neighborhood of Lunga. Uh, it's been in, in process since 2018, uh, but it came to fruition last year in one of Cape Town's most beautiful and historically important suburbs. What might God be doing to the people gathered there? Could we quite literally see cycles of poverty being broken, making sure that future generations don't disappear into ongoing poverty? Believe it or not, we've become farmers. I know that might appeal to some in this room, but uh, in school, uh, this was news to me when I, when I got these notes. I wasn't aware that we were farmers in common ground. But uh, in schools like Dyser Primary in Bontehevel, God has given us incredible influence and allowed us to infiltrate every level of governance and coaching and teaching to the point that now we're even planting crops on school fields to assist the learners there with adequate nutrition. Guys, this is what it means to bless the city, this integrated, holistic view of blessing people at every area of their lives. At the same time, the grade six paths rate in maths climbed in 2019 from 19.7% to 62.5%. They outperformed the national average for maths across all schools as a non-fee-paying school, which traditionally has not been a place of academic excellence, particularly in the area of maths. Because that's come about because of you and me sowing into this vision that God has given us. We multiplied in this great city by serving other churches in Cape Town. This is something that you're probably not even fully aware of, but there's been incredible resources put together, entire websites put together, best practice documents for churches, theological documents, training and teaching documents that's available for free, stuff that God has been teaching us over 20 years that we're making available for free to any church that wants it, and particularly partnering with churches in previously disadvantaged areas, areas where very often past cannot afford to be employed full-time and don't have time to always uh, research things and study things for themselves. We've got pastors that are mentoring them, spending time with them, encouraging them, and making resources available to them. 
In 2019, we laid a foundation of opportunity in over 700 lives, most of whom were connected to meaningful study and employment opportunities through TZN Citywide. TZN is the Zona Kanye Network. It's our network citywide for job readiness and skills training. Let me just take a moment to say, you might be a little bit confused because whenever we talk about uh, uh, common good, we talk about TZN, the Zona Kanye Network citywide in terms of employment and job readiness, but here in Durbanville, you'll hear us talk all the time about FCD, the Vasanta Kral Center for Development. And the reason for that is citywide, we primarily operate through TZN around employment and job readiness programs. But we looked around Durbanville and we saw this incredible group of people that were already doing it here. And rather than waste resources to some extent by trying to reinvent the wheel, we said we would rather partner with incredible people on the ground already. So if you've ever wondered how come sometimes we talk about TZN and, and sometimes FCD citywide, we're operating primarily through TZN, but here in Durbanville, we've got this incredible uh, uh, collective group that we are working with, many of whom are here on Sunday mornings, many of our people involved in their programs, uplifting people who are struggling to find employment through job readiness programs. We started FTC Early Life. Uh, there was a research phase. If you were around for a while, you would have heard about it as we looked at what is a child need in the first thousand days of life. Uh, it was pioneered across the city. There was research that was done. There were programs that were held. We went into other churches other than just common ground. Yeah, in Durbanville, we now have an early life team together that's visiting new moms, encouraging them, loving them. Uh, we've trained some men now to work with first-time dads and to mentor them, and we've kicked that off with the first of these first-time dads. We're going to be doing an expecting couples course in Durbanville to support those who are expecting. Previously, it was only happening in Rondebosch. So this is filtering in to us, but it's also a blessing across the the whole city. I just think it's, it's fantastic here in Durbanville to work with first-time moms and dads and provide support, but how much more fantastic very often to work into areas of previously disadvantaged communities to train people. What does it look like to do early childhood stimulation? What does it look like to have adequate nutrition? Not just from a nurse when they're in the hospital, which is great, but as a, as a form of ongoing care and support. We're literally changing the lives of the next generation. Across education, I've mentioned some things already, but there's over 2,000 learners that have been directly impacted by the work that Common Good does through reading programs, through us working in schools, through mentoring teachers and uplifting them in their abilities. Just a couple more highlights, just because there's so much that's going on. We're excited to be translating some of our key gospel resources into Koza and into French for the first time. We have communities that are far more diverse than this one, that have people that whose first language is not English. This is an opportunity now to bring the gospel to them in a whole new way. For the city makes this possible. You've heard about our M5 congregation that's launched. We've literally moved into a new neighborhood and saying, God, use us. Starting later on this year, we've got a seven-week course aimed at discipling people in the workplace. It's piloted this year. It's going to be rolled out. It can be done as a life group course or even within workplaces. We've got groups of interns that are training for future church plants. Our next generation team is putting together three years' worth of curriculum and best practices into a package for new church plants to use. This is some of the things that God is doing through us, through For the City, as we look to bless the city with the message and life life and the fame of Jesus. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to hand over to Bruce, and he's going to take us into the next section. Thanks, G. Excellent stuff. Uh, I'm so 
provoked by this call out of Jeremiah 29 that says, uh, seek the welfare of the city and pray on its behalf to the Lord. And uh, I think we're good at... uh, good generally as people in our culture at ingesting information and saying, I really need to get to that sometime. But I'd love us to take a moment right now to exercise the second half of that call and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And so I'm going to ask us all to stand up, if you don't mind. Um, just uh, You've done a whole lot of listening now, and I think it would be great to immediately just respond in faith to some of what God is stirring today. And so in a couple of moments, I'm going to ask us all to pray together. Maybe you know the people around you and you're quite comfortable uh, huddling with a few of them and praying. Maybe you're comfortable praying out loud. A lot of people are. Uh, Maybe you're quite new around here and you just want to stay in your seat. That's totally cool. Maybe you want to pray in the quietness of your heart. Uh, Please don't feel any pressure uh, to do a specific thing in this moment. But for a couple of minutes... What we're going to do as a community is we're going to continue to ask God to work out his plans in the city of Cape Town. You'll you'll find there are a whole lot of prayers from so many different angles. That's the beauty of having a whole lot of diverse people together in a room. For some of you right now, you're going education in our city. Someone else is going like employment. I'm so hungry to see that. Uh, Another person's going new congregations and the gospel (coughs) reaching others. What God does is he brings together the sum total of people, uh, the the passion that he plants in people so that we can impact across a broad spectrum. And so I'm going to, just for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you if you're comfortable, you know the people around you, feel free to turn to them. If you just want to stay in your seat, whether you pray out aloud, pray in the quietness of your heart. Let's just spend a couple of minutes now praying for our city. Go for it. God, as, uh, as a community, we want to continue to confess to you that our hearts really do have a tendency to move towards selfish means. We do tend to move back to ourselves and our well-being and making sure our direct loved ones are just taken care of and hoping other people are doing the same. But God, we want to just today again say we open our hearts to your work. We, we open our hearts to your enlarging work. We think, Jesus, of your work Uh, not just sitting in heaven and hoping for the best on our behalf, but coming, moving into the neighborhood, 
because we matter to you. God, we want to pray that the same love of Christ, the same humility of one who considered equality with God something not to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. God, we pray that you would continue to stir this in our hearts. In a year's time, God, we pray that this doesn't matter less to us, but it matters a little bit more. Get hold of our hearts, God, even where it's inconvenient, even where it's gonna change the way our lives look and the way things unfold for us. God, we give you permission to work with our hearts, to form in us a heart of flesh that would love this amazing city that you've placed us in for the glory of your name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to just watch a, a video that just gets down to some of the practicalities. I know some people have come today aware that there's going to be a pledge. Some of you are maybe going, wow, this is just seems to come out of nowhere. And so we're just going to watch a short video that goes through all the practicalities of how if you are specifically above and beyond your regular committed giving, you feeling like there's, there's a commitment I want to make towards some of these things. Uh, Nick's going to explain that all to us in a couple of minutes, and then I'll be back to lead us into a final song. Three years into the Fill the City vision, we have seen God move in incredible ways in each of the five gifts to Cape Town. Through the generosity of common grounders across our city, thousands of people's lives have been touched by the transforming message of Jesus Christ. We are so grateful to every single person who has faithfully sown into the vision that God gave us to multiply Christ followers, congregations, compassion and justice, cultural renewal, and church strengthening. In 2019, we saw 4.8 million rand pledged and more than 5.1 million given of the 6 million we aimed to raise. It is inspiring to see the generosity of common grounders and to go over our pledged amount is a celebration. In 2020, we want to continue to give our city these five gifts. We are looking to raise 6 million rand towards this vision over and above our regular committed giving. Of the 6 million rand, half goes towards gift three as common good continues to multiply God's compassion and justice across our city. And three million rand goes towards the other four gifts, as common ground continues to multiply Christ followers, congregations, cultural renewal, and church strengthening. If you would like to see more details on exactly where each amount goes, you can have a look at the back of your handouts. Just over a million rand of this has already been pledged by a small group of common grounders who've committed to partnering with us as we seek to love and serve our city through giving her five gifts. On the front of your pledge cards, you will see how to give. We'd love for you to prayerfully and joyfully consider now what God is stirring you to sow into these five gifts in 2020. If you are already giving towards For the City and would like to continue doing so, please still complete a pledge card to help us plan accordingly and steward these finances correctly. Please remember to use the reference code at the bottom of the card, which is specific to your congregation. Please also remember there is a unique bank account for Fill the City. This is different to the bank account that you use for your regular committed giving. All of the details are on the handout, which we encourage you to take home and keep praying for this vision throughout the year. Today, hundreds of common grounders across Cape Town will make their pledge to help fill our city with the message, life, and fame of Jesus Christ. So the band can come and join me on the stage. We're going to close off in a couple of moments with a song. Um, Nick did such a good job there of uh, making clear what's going on. 
Um, so I'm not going to rehash everything he said. But basically, there's a blue card uh, that you are welcome to take home. And on the back of that are all the details of uh, the budget and the bank account and all of that. Um, and then this white card, we're actually going to give you a couple of moments. Some of you might need to go home and uh, consult uh, loved ones, consult your budget. And that can be an incredible act of faith, actually working things out and taking time to think. So do feel free to bring these back. But what we have found is that for a lot of people, it's actually just great in the moment to go, hey, I'm going to get this done now. God's stirring my heart. Things are clear for me. And so uh, we're trusting that for a whole lot of us, actually now will be the moment as we're in uh, the space of faith. uh, And uh, if that's you, you're welcome to actually drop these, the white card, take the blue card home. You'll need it with uh, the details on it. The white card in the pledge boxes that are out uh, at the back. And then some of us are just going, hey, we're just not quite in a place right now where we would uh, wanting to give. We're going to pray. We're going to join the vision. And that's cool too. As we said, this is really an over and above reality. Please don't feel any hype. Please don't feel any pressure. What we want most is every person authentically responding to God's prompting as they feel uh, in uh, their own hearts. And so I'm going to ask us all to stand together. We're going to sing one more detail. Perhaps you came ready with, specifically with cash and you're wondering what to do with that, um, there are some envelopes available um, at the involvement desk and at the pledge boxes that you can pop the cash in those envelopes and pop it into the pledge uh, boxes. But perhaps you want to remain seated. If you're busy filling one of those out, that's cool too. Uh, but if you're ready, uh, you're standing, and uh, you're ready to close off just singing to this God of this amazing promise that we've spoken about today, let's sing together.